You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And good morning. Our lines are open. 0818103103. You can text or indeed WhatsApp. 0862103103. It's Tuesday's Cork Today. JP in for Patricia until one and ahead on the programme. The coalition party leaders, they met yesterday evening to discuss a dull motion to reverse the ending of the eviction ban. Uh, discussing what is likely to happen today will be joined shortly by our political correspondent with the Irish Sun, Adam Higgins. And what indeed could happen? Will the government have the majority on this and many say they will have uh, but we'll hear what is likely to happen. Also a lot of the rural independent TDs who have come together by way of a grouping uh, some are voting with the government but then they have changed their minds and will vote with the Sinn Féin motion while they put amendments forward then to the government so there's a lot of those independents that people are waiting to see what way they will vote. One of those is Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins. He'll join us later in the programme as they meet this morning on which way they will vote in this motion. And also a review could be underway on streets which became pedestrianised during Covid and have become outdoor dining areas. Many now are filled with street furniture but some with accessibility issues feel some of these streets need to return to what they were before. And you'll be familiar with a lot of these streets. Some county towns have them also. In the city, though, a lot of them are not closed off. They are to traffic, but not to uh, pedestrians. But they, we do have street furniture right down uh, the street, the full length of the street in many cases. And now there's calls to relook really at these, maybe an audit or a review. Uh, so we'll hear about that this morning on the programme. And also, we're going to hear how some students in West Cork can be travelling up to four hours a day just so that they can receive an education. This is due to West Cork having no uh, central special school will speak to parents who find themselves in that position and their uh, children who are on taxis and buses travelling two hours to a school and then two hours back uh, many to city areas uh, from West Cork uh, they'll tell their stories this morning to us also we're going to chat with the screenwriter behind God's Creatures this film is out on Friday a lot of you would have heard a lot about this movie simply because Paul Meskel stars in it and because he was at the film festival in Dublin around the time they were all nominated for the Oscars uh, the movie got a lot of coverage Shane Crowley is the screenwriter he'll join us on uh, how indeed he came up and how he writes about films not only this one but in general but it's a movie surrounding an Irish fishing village where a a mother is protecting her son and there's a web of lies in this as well Uh, it's uh, the trailer I've seen it looks to be a good one so we'll find out more about that on the show this morning and our regular show counsellor Joe Heffernan uh, he'll join us after 12.30 discussing anxiety and mindfulness. So your views are welcome 0818 103 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and a lot of coverage on the TV news yesterday evening and again in a lot of the papers this morning and people have mixed views when it comes to climate change. This is uh, the report and the verdict from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC 
And they say that climate change is a, a threat to human well-being and indeed to health with a rapidly closing window of opportunity uh, closing in for all of us so that we can have a, a livable and sustainable future here in Ireland, but indeed right across the world. Uh, but interesting to hear and look at the various uh, people that are out on this just here in Ireland. Uh, first of all, uh, Professor Peter Thorne, he's from Maynooth University. He feels that many Irish citizens do not understand the climate consequences consequences of their actions. Why? Because he said if you look at the roads at the moment, you can see this being demonstrated by the alarming number, is what he says, of new SUVs on the road. And the country's leading climatologist has said these measures are crucial, that people need to make the right decisions and action was needed on all levels. So from those of us on the ground up, everybody needs to play their part when it comes to climate change and SUVs. He's hitting out of those as are others then uh, with similar views in other countries and uh, a lot of people do drive SUVs. Some people feel they feel uh, safer uh, in an SUV driving it than they do in a car because of road conditions. But your views on that, I mean, is he right? Are too many people uh, purchasing SUVs when they don't really need to be driving an SUV? Your views are welcome on that. And then uh, staying with the report from the IPCC on climate, uh, a report that came out with the Climate Change Advisory Council, their chairperson is Marie Donnelly, and she feels that with everything going on and all our talk on climate change, uh, that Ireland is not sufficiently prepared to deal with this and adapt to the levels of climate change we are currently experiencing. And a lot of this, she says, is due to the infrastructure that was built here. A lot of this was built in the mid-20th century. So we can't deal with the current change in our climate. And that is something that needs to be looked at as well. But when will people take note of what's going on? Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, commentary and graphs and diagrams in the papers this morning on on when we'll actually see an influence from humans on this. Because when you hear uh, the the various people in universities who deal with climate change, uh, when they're speaking about nobody is taking action, there's more SUVs on the roads. So people really don't care. When will people care? And they're looking at the various uh, challenges to uh, humans over the next number of years. Now, this is over 20 to 50 years time and some of these uh, which we have seen already I suppose is an increase in fire weather that when we get more of these fire warnings people may wake up also an increase in agricultural and ecological drought an increase in flooding we've seen that over the last number of years heavy rain some would say we always have it. Uh, that's going to increase. And when we get more heavy rainstorms that people may take note, we've seen the uh, glaciers who, which are melting in the various regions of the world. Uh, so that is nothing new. And that is leading to the uh, rise in sea level. Uh, but then the increase in hot extremes that our summers are going to get a lot warmer here in Ireland. And then there's the debate always that a number of years ago our summers were warmer. So is it just a cycle or is it climate change? I think the debate will continue Continue on for many years to come, but that's what they look at this morning on how each individual human will really look up to the skies and see the weather patterns change and look at themselves and say, maybe we do need to change how we are living on this earth. Uh, your views are welcome when it comes to climate change. Always mix your views on that. Uh, you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And something that is very much in the in households, not to mind the news, uh, this is Strep A. 
Uh, this uh, potentially it's a killer invasive infection and it was doing the round at Christmas and again in October uh, but it's back and it seems more and more people now again are suffering from this strep A infection in recent weeks there's been a spike but they're hoping the figures will ease now in the coming weeks uh, they look back at figures from October 2022 and they is the Department of Health uh, and the Health Protection Surveillance Centre and they have been researching this and they found that six Six deaths in children, four deaths uh, in those under 10 and two in under 11s uh, to 17 year olds uh, that they have, that they took place from October 2022 up until Christmas. And then there was also 10 deaths ranging uh, from those in age of 50 to 96. Uh, so they are worried about this strep A, which uh, seemingly affects the tonsils and more than likely it, it kind of swells without getting into the medics of it the tonsils swell uh, and that can lead to uh, issues of breathing or choking I suppose in, in one aspect uh, but it is a worry for this uh, not only for the health service but for parents out there as it is back again seemingly as bad as ever strep A so take, take note of that and take care uh, as uh, it, it was a huge issue for uh, schools uh, back just before the Christmas break but it seems to be doing the rounds again but they are hopeful that as the as March goes on into April that the figures we'll see for those suffering from strep will ease but again I suppose during the summer months those kind of weird diseases disappear and they come back again in the winter don't they and we heard yesterday uh, from business owners and a lot of them were outlining the high cost of energy uh, bills they're receiving to their businesses electricity uh, the main one that we are hearing from business owners some were receiving bills of 1,200 euros uh, we heard from David who runs a butcher's in Clonakilty he received a bill of over 3,000 euros for his electricity uh, he feels the government supports aren't going far enough to deal with the increase in energy and many of our callers yesterday were asking what is happening with this windfall tax well there is going to be a new windfall tax it is going to be on those energy companies and seemingly when it does get introduced it will make up to 600 million euros Uh, it's going to be signed off by cabinet ministers today and it will be introduced this summer by all accounts some companies are generating wind solar and oil electricity they're going to have have their revenues capped by December of this year and from December of last year sorry to June of this year uh, but then fossil fuels and those who are producing fossil fuels uh, they will have to pay a, a temporary contribution of their of, of their profits or so whatever profits they make uh, they'll be taxed on those but they'll have to pay another contribution on top of their tax so uh, that will bring in more uh, money for the government but it's seemingly when they look at this and they look at the figures uh, roughly between 280 million to 600 million euros will be collected as a result of this very long awaited energy windfall measures which are going to be signed off on today so that might be of uh, some good news to those we spoke to yesterday who were asking about that and asking about the windfall uh, tax to hit those energy companies considering I mean, David and Clonakilty receiving that bill of over €3,000 electricity bill. And I know a lot of it is to do with refrigeration and, and storing meat in a butcher's, but still huge amounts of money. Uh, and now that windfall tax uh, is going to come in. But will it make a change? We'll have to wait and see. And for those of you interested in history, well, the uh, cutlery used by Michael Collins to eat his last meal, it's to go on show at museums around the country because it was bought by a private collector. Uh, the lot sold for six 
6,500 euros and this was three times the estimated value. It was an auction in Bray in County Wicklow and it's titled Michael Collins' Final Meal and this includes a knife, a fork, a spoon and they're all stitched to a silk shamrock and framed with a photo of Michael Collins. Now, uh, of course, his last um, meal, one of his last meals, um, this this was used when he was at the Eldon Hotel in Skibbereen. And of course, he uh, ate there on the day that later that evening he was killed in Ben Lablo. Uh, but the owner who purchased this, he wants to remain anonymous, but he said he's going to give uh, this on loan to, first of all, the Carlow County Museum for public viewing. And then it will go on display in museums right across the country. And it should be on loan here to a public museum in Cork in the near future. But there's a picture of it today in some of the papers and it still looks intact all these years later, uh, but it will be coming to a museum in Cork very shortly. Lines open 0818 103 103. You can text or indeed WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And I was speaking there earlier on the housing and that eviction ban, what's going to be voted on tomorrow in the Dáil debate uh, later this evening. Uh, Michael in uh, Castletown Bear, he's uh, on this though, he's looking more so at the Planning Act and he says the dogs in the street acknowledge that they're are tens of thousands of houses, apartments, all stuck in the planning permission process, plus nearly a similar amount objected to. The obvious answer to the housing problem is a new planning act and an act that Michael says he has called for on numerous occasions on this programme. The 1963 Act is not fit for purpose. When will governments and their officials open their eyes and see the light? It is very hard to change the spots on a leopard bush until such a time that we have a new planning act, we will have a major housing problem. So put pressure on your elected TDs to create a new act. Changing bits and pieces is only going to cause further problems, says Michael in Castletown Bear. And then something we're going to discuss later in the programme, and this is to do with a review that could be underway on streets, first of all in Cork City, streets that became pedestrianised during Covid and this was so that people could go along and have a meal and a drink outside and then they became outdoor dining areas and many uh, streets now, not only in the city but in county towns as well, are filled with street furniture. Well on this uh, someone here in Formoy says yes they have these as well in Formoy, they're outside certain establishments but this person in Formoy is making the point that uh, her son is in a wheelchair and he has to go out on the road every time he is passing and the traffic in Formoy is getting worse so while he's uh, going down on a footpath he then has to leave the footpath onto a busy roadway and then uh, try and get on the footpath again later down the street it's very very dangerous to this person feels all street furniture needs to be got rid of and those pods that were introduced uh, by the council over the last three years while Neve says before Covid ever came there was bars in some towns that had seats outside their bars blocking footpaths. I often had to go out on the road with my buggy. It's very dangerous. Traffic was heavy at the time as it still is but were they allowed to do this? I do welcome outside dining and I do welcome bars having seats outside but with regulation taking up an entire footpath is wrong. Have access for both. Have your seats but also have room for those to get by especially those Neve says with buggies or indeed in wheelchairs your views are welcome on that 
Uh, outdoor street furniture, good or bad, text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can call us on 0818-103-103. We'll be discussing, though, uh, the debate that will roll all in the Dáil and that uh, Dáil motion that Sinn Féin have bought uh, regarding the reversing the ending of the evictions ban. What is likely to happen? Uh, we'll be discussing this with the political correspondent from the Irish Sun, Adam Higgins, next. Court today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Court today at c103.ie. The coalition party leaders met yesterday evening to discuss the dull motion to reverse the ending of the evictions ban. Green Party TD Nessa Horrigan says she'll back the motion to today, voting against the government and leaving it with a wafer-thin majority. Well, the debate today, the motion, of course, is tomorrow. Labour also are in on this. They said they will support the motion and say if it is defeated, the party will put forward a bill to extend the ban. Well, a political correspondent with the Irish son, Adam Higgins, joins us on this. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning. A lot happening this week within Leinster House. Some of the independents, they have come out now. Some saying they will not support the government on this one. Uh, So the pressure is on while rural groups are looking on how they can amend what's been mentioned today. That's right, Jay. It's all getting a little too close for comfort on this one for the government. We know that there's a 160 TDs in the Dáil and the, the, the government currently has a majority there of 81. Now, Nasser Horrigan in the Greens has already said she's not going to vote with the government on this. She's going to back the Sinn Féin motion, which brings that majority down to the bare minimum. Usually the government can rely on a couple of independent TDs to help them get their motions over the line, which gives them a kind of a working majority. Now, some of those TDs have already expressed uh, concern about the motion and they're not being as clear as they have with their support in the past. Now, one of those that would be part of that kind of regional independent group is Sean Canny. He is he has put forward a number of amendments that he'd like to see the government take on. So that's a commitment for tax relief uh, for small landlords in the next budget. He wants to see um, this 75,000 we hear of uh, planning commissions that are sitting there ready to be worked on. He wants to see the government really take an action on them to increase the supply of housing. So there's a number of things there now. But already within that group, there's a number of TDs who said, like, I mean, for example, Michael Healy Ray intends to vote with Sinn Féin. And he, of course, is a landlord, the dog's biggest landlord. And he intends to vote with Sinn Féin to bring this eviction ban back in. So there, there is going to be, it's going to be tight now for the government to pass this. Uh, this they're going to file a counter motion against Sinn Féin today and then it'll be tight on that vote tomorrow. And any backbenchers that could change their mind on this and surprise the government? Well, we know Nasa Horrigan has already said that she will back Sinn Féin with this. Now, usually in the past, Patrick Costello of the Greens has also stood alongside Nasa Horrigan on a number of issues. And we've seen the two TDs punished recently. That kind of lockstep seems to have been broken between those two TDs. It, it from, from Patrick Costello hasn't uh, nailed his colours to the mast on this vote yet. But from what we hear within the Greens, they feel a bit more confident that he is going to back the government on this one. They feel that he's come a bit closer to the, the party uh, since his the last time he voted against the government. So it it seems like that's it's not clear yet. He hasn't he hasn't made a statement himself, but it seems like the Greens are confident that, that they'll keep him. Now, of course, we know Joe McHugh, who lost the the party whip for Fine Gael after the he went against the government and Micah. We know that he is is kind of out in the drift and he can do what he wants effectively as an independent. But from what we hear, he's also going to stand with the government on this. And then, of course, within Fianna Fáil, there's Mark McSherry, who's now an independent TD, and really he could go either way. 
And the coalition themselves, they're very much together on this. They feel that leaving the ban in place won't change anything. You will still have emergency accommodation. So the government themselves are confident that the motion will pass. Yes, and the Taoiseach was asked about this in Washington uh, during the week and he said, yes, they, they're very confident that that working majority will hold and that they will keep the, the support and, and, and get this bill over the line or get this motion uh, over the line. But now it's not going to end there because we know the Labour Party, if this Sinn Féin motion is shot down uh, tomorrow, the Labour Party are planning to put in a wider no confidence motion against the government on the back of this uh, eviction ban issue. So the government may get through this one tomorrow, but it'll have uh, another test for that majority again in the next week. And if when Labour put down that motion, could we see another motion again, maybe from Sinn Féin before the end of the month? Or are they just allowed to do one motion? Yes, so usually what happens is there's a a one no confidence motion in a matter of weeks and people use their, the parties use their private members' time to do that. But the government won't want to be seen to be scraping by these uh, issues and scraping by confidence. So tomorrow's vote will be key to an indicator to see who will, uh, when when the no confidence motion comes in, which side, a lot of those independent TDs will fall. So I think tomorrow will be a kind of an eye-opener or a precursor to what we'll see again next week. And from what you are hearing in Linster House, it looks like the motion will pass anyhow in favour of the government. Yes, it looks like the government is is going to be able to get through this, but on a very tighter margin than a number of the issues that we've seen in the past. For example, some of the no confidence, uh, confidence motions, like the last one in Housing Minister Dara O'Brien, that was passed very easily by the government and, uh, and a, an easy test that they jumped. But I think uh, this will be a lot tighter because a lot of these TDs that would have kind of stood by the government in the past will now be getting it in the air from their constituents who might be renters, who might be concerned about why they're backing the government on this issue when, you know, they're concerned about their, are they going to get their own eviction ba- uh, eviction notice in the door at any time. So I think this really is going to test the government majority. And uh, finally, Adam, something that we spoke about on the show yesterday, this is regarding energy companies. And we had a number of business owners on uh, speaking with us on air yesterday, some who have received electricity bills of over €3,000 uh, and some who have received electricity bills for small businesses of just under €1,000. But they're all asking about the windfall tax that was spoken about. Uh, this is due to be anyhow signed off by cabinet ministers today. Yes, that's right. So we finally get a look at some of the legislation that Minister Ryan and the government ministers have been promising for a long time now. I think when they flagged this last year, a lot of people thought this was going to be the one that would help kind of get really tough with these energy companies and force them to bring down their prices. And if not, then the government would take that money off them, take those super profits and put it back in the pockets of of, uh, of the bill payers. So we're finally going to look at that legislation today after it goes uh, before the cabinet. Um, from some of the, the kind of briefing notes that we've seen, it looks like it's going to bring in somewhere between 280 million and 600 million from these companies. But that won't start being paid out from the companies to the government until around September. So really, I think what we're looking at here is another couple of months of the status quo. And then in the next budget, we'll see a tranche of that money coming in from the from the energy companies. And the government has promised that this, and even as recently as this week, uh, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, promised that they're going to use this money to bring down energy bills. Now, what will be very interesting is watching the energy companies as their wholesale prices has dropped recently, will they drop their uh, prices for bill payers? And if they bring their prices back down to where they were 
before the the war in Ukraine, will the government still be as keen to use this as energy supports as they, as they promised, or will they try to you know manipulate it somehow and bring it back into the general exchequer so they can use it for other measures? So it's going to be very interesting to see which way they go on that when it comes up to September in the next budget. Okay, we'll wait and see what happens for the moment, Adam. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Well, it will be a busy week in Leinster House. Uh, that is Adam Higgins there, uh, political correspondent with the Irish Sun. Your views are welcome on 0818-103-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And when he spoke regarding the independent TDs on what way they will go, that will make the margins very tight for the government. We have asked Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins to join us on what way he'll be voting on this motion. Uh, the rural group are meeting this morning and Michael will join us later in the programme. And just something totally different to do with happiness because I think we all need a bit of happiness at the moment. And there was a survey conducted, a report over the last year and for the sixth year running, Finland has been named the happiest country in the world. It was one of three Nordic countries included in the top 10 of the annual World Happiness Report. And the index, how they measure this uh, happiness across the globe, they go through six key factors and they include social support, income, health and generosity and they put those six in the mix and that's how they come up with their results Ireland well we came 14th place uh, in this uh, happiness report we're down one place from last year while Afghanistan and Lebanon they remain the two unhappiest countries according to the survey so would you agree with that Ireland in 14th place and we're down one from where we were last year uh, it could be a lot of reasons for that with what's going on at the moment anyhow text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and on the way we're going to be hearing about about this review or audit that's going to take place on streets right across Cork City initially. Uh, some of these streets which became pedestrianised during COVID, they now have become outdoor dining areas. But uh, because they are filled with street furniture, some with accessibility issues feel the streets need to return to what they were before. Your viewers are welcome on that. We'll discuss it next. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Several streets in Cork City and indeed in towns across Cork County have become pedestrianised since COVID, meaning streets which were accessible before now are not. Uh, Councillor Dan Ball joins me on this. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning. Now, these measures, as you know, were introduced so people could go out and have a meal and a drink, but the measures stayed on and while they are working well, they are bringing an outdoor dining experience to many areas of Cork City. Uh, there is access areas then for others. It, it, I, I suppose it is a problem of success to, to some extent uh, and unanticipated consequences. Uh, I'm very much supportive of pedestrianisation and I, I would encourage uh, further pedestrianisation wherever possible. The difficulty is is that when you're talking about narrow streets in particular, uh, the, the space that's left available for, for people who have particular access needs, uh, people in wheelchairs, uh, uh, parents with, with buggies, with children, for instance, uh, and uh, there are pinch points that have been created where uh, the street furniture has been put in a location or, or the end of the street has been made less accessible than it should be. Uh, and then you may find uh, street furniture in the middle of a street uh, where uh, they, the, the people uh, on, on either wheelchairs or using buggies uh, need to avoid by going onto a footpath and there isn't appropriate lipped fo- footpaths to allow people to access on and off. Uh, 
so th these are things that I think become apparent uh, as you're easing in with a new program. And, and I've been asking for an ongoing mobility audit to make sure that we're anticipating those problems uh, and trying to as and when they arise. And do you feel maybe when it comes to Cork City, there are too many streets closed off for accessibility access? I, I think there are particular streets that are a problem. Uh, I, I think the uh, Truckee Street is the one that's, that springs to mind most readily. I think most streets are working well. Uh, there are a number of cross streets that are included uh, off Washington Street that to all intents and purposes have uh, become dominated by the businesses that are adjacent to them uh, and uh, that's not necessarily access or, or, or public uh, right of ways uh, and i think that's been diminished and we need to look at that the the amount of furniture that can be put on a space the amount of awning that can be put out from an adjacent building uh, and there the, there are very narrow streets uh, grafton street particularly off uh, oliver plunkett street which is uh, probably the, the least wide of all the streets that have been pedestrianised, uh, which at the weekends uh, and evenings tends to be gated off, which uh, is totally against the spirit, I, I would argue, for any public thoroughfare. So uh, it, it's recognising the problems that do exist and trying to address them. Uh, and uh, I, I'm glad at least that that consideration is being given and that debate is being had. How would this review work then? Obviously, you're going to take into account the business, the street furniture, but how does the decision go ahead to either revert the street back to what it was without affecting the tourism that has been brought to Cork by these businesses who were operating on these streets? Well, what what they would have been would have been cars, uh, car dominated streets, uh, parking and, and and cars driving through them. So I, I don't see us going back there, and I'm not arguing that we should. Uh, but pedestrianised streets have to have a benefit for pedestrians and and people who have particular access needs. Uh, and if a pendulum is swung too far in a particular direction, we need to bring it back. Uh, I, I'm not arguing for the return of any cars to any of these streets because I, I think in terms of how the space is used then uh, and the obstacles that were available for people in terms of access, they were worse. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't want to, uh, obstacles filled streets that uh, are filled with uh, street furniture instead of cars. So getting that balance right is what's important. Those streets we've just mentioned there, I mean, would they have been used a lot prior to those being re redrawn up and, and changed and now being used by the bars in and around those areas? I mean, were there streets that uh, well, were, were well, usually yeah, accessed? I, I think yeah, I think it's fair to say Grafton Street, uh, being the narrowest street, wouldn't have been used at all. Uh, so, uh, but it's just the fact that there's a privatisation element to that that uh, may, maybe rankles a bit. Uh, the the side streets off Washington Street, um, they would have been used for cars, maybe rat running, um, trying to go onto parallel streets on Hanover Street from Washington Street. So there's streets like Little Anne Street, Little Cross Street that are are, are now more or less dominated by the bars that are next to them uh, and the street furniture from those businesses. Um, but uh, Tucky Street uh, had been a very major thoroughfare, a link between Grand Parade and South Main Street. Uh, and the way that the first street furniture is at the South Main Street end, uh, uh, and even the street furniture in the middle of the street itself, a it, it isn't being done to the extent that it should. It needs to be improved in how it's being monitored uh, and how the space is being used. Uh, but other than that, I, I think they should still remain pedestrianised streets.
And when you look at other cities like Dublin, I have been made aware of a lot of people in Dublin, even those in politics in Dublin, have looked at Cork and realised how well Cork has done this, has mm-hmm. brought the street furniture onto the streets, has brought outdoor dining in a country where the weather may not be ideal for this. You don't want to ruin that either. No, not at all. And, and you know, the most successful elements are, are Princess Street, uh, which I think has been relatively successful. There's there's difficulties with the footpath use there. They, they've tried to bring in counterflow uh, pedestrian uh, directions uh, there that haven't been successful. People will walk where they walk. Uh, and there are difficulties. I think we need to look at putting lips uh, on, on footpaths in, in Princess Street that will allow people in wheeled vehicles to get on and off the footpath. Uh, but uh, other than that, it, it has been a spectacular success. Uh, and I think the other major area would be Pembroke Street. Uh, the, 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 there are uh, questions that would have arisen in terms of reallocating pedestrianised parking bays, uh, for instance, Pembroke Street to, to South Mile uh, and Tucky Street to um, South Main Street. Uh, and it's a marginally longer distance for people, which creates a difficulty. Uh, but I, I think it's more important that we have increased numbers of bays for disability parking uh, and uh, we give people better choice uh, and better access from where we have the uh, the parking bays put in place. And these reviews are audited, so can we see these being carried out? Uh, well, they are done on an annual basis, but they are done internally. So um, th- there is a, a group set up of, of representatives of, of various disability organisations representing on what's called the Cork Access Group. Uh, what I'm arguing for that it's uh, a more open, more transparent process and that there's greater public input into it because it, it's a developing situation. Uh, it's an idea that everyone has bought into and has seemed to be successful, uh, but it's, it's, it's something that will also have have unintended consequences uh, and where those difficulties arise, we need to address them. Uh, uh, and I think if we, if we do that openly and transparently, uh, we'll have a, a better system in place uh, and we'll have a, a system of, of pedestrianisation that uh, Cork can take greater pride in because uh, I, yeah, I think we should be proud that we've been leading the way uh, and leading the way better means that we, we need to be admitting where problems exist and, and trying to eliminate those problems. Could you see a situation when the audit is carried out and if it works with those access groups you mentioned and indeed with City Council that you could see some of those streets while remaining pedestrianised, the street furniture or the bars that were operating there not operating in the full capacity there were then? I, I think that, that would have to be a necessary result because uh, if it's not possible for a, a wheelchair or, or someone with a buggy to have direct through access at any given time on these streets, then that's a failure. Uh, and it's a failure that we uh, we have to admit to, and it's a failure we have to make sure it doesn't exist any longer than, than it has been. Uh, we, we need to improve access for all our citizens, and if we're hindering that in other ways, we have to be honest to do it enough to admit that uh, it isn't being got 100% right and it needs to be vastly improved. Okay, Dan, for the moment, we'll leave it there, but thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thank you.
A lot of people mix views when it comes to the street furniture and this audit or review that will be underway across this year and will be happening in all areas of Cork, not just the city, but in county towns as well. And as Councillor Dan Ball was explaining there, while everybody is for outdoor dining, they are looking at the accessibility issues that some people are facing. Deirdre, on this, regarding what we spoke about on WhatsApp to 86 You can text on the same number. Deirdre says, I can see the two sides of this argument. I do like the outdoor dining and it gives that European feel when you were out. However, it's wrong to close off a street if there is no alternative, but also closing off footpaths to those that need to use the path. For example, Deirdre says her friend is a wheelchair user and while they were walking down a city street recently, she had to navigate her wheelchair off the footpath as there was no slope on the path to allow her off it. Now, this was because there was a seating pod located on the footpath and she feels all of this does need to be looked at uh, in the end. While they got off the footpath, they then had more issues trying to get back on the footpath. Uh, Thankfully, though, the street at the time was not too busy, but you can certainly see the two sides to that argument. Una, though, uh, believes what is happening with the outdoor dining. It's a great idea. Leave it be. Leave those seats outside bars, restaurants and indeed on the streets. Surely there has to be other ways to access areas. Look at the photos we see during the summer with people out dining. It makes our city and our towns look great. So leave it as be, says Una. While Donna says, uh, while Cork was the first to go ahead with this type of outdoor or dining in our city and indeed our towns others then followed we don't want to reverse this now and while others continue and we stop could we drive tourists to other areas of Ireland even though Cork was first out with this outdoor dining idea we need to be very careful on how we deal with this situation says Jonna uh, and Joan is uh, where she lives she says there's three premises have tables and chairs outside but no one is using them and at the moment because it's too cold they're still outside but outside of the footpath issue Joan says they're taking up parking spaces so they're removing parking spaces from the town she is in and Ita at the weekend was out and she says where she was restaurants have the footpath blocked with tables and chairs and people had to walk onto the road into oncoming traffic. They had no alternative. So it does need to be looked at. And then Jared is in Bandon and he uh, has a different view on this because he said outside of street furniture, leave that aside, he was in the city last week and he's asking about cars parking on footpaths. What is to be done about this? Because he was walking on a path in the city and as he was walking on, he realised then he had to walk off the path. Why? Because a car was parked on the footpath. And he says, I see more and more of this daily. And surely this needs to be tackled as well as the street furniture. At least the street furniture is bringing people into an area and they're spending money. A car is doing nothing. And he says, I'm not talking about half a car parked on a footpath with two tyres. This is the entire car parked on the footpath have people come across this at asking Jared he feels it's getting worse and this was something he experienced when he was in and about the city last week uh, mainly the suburbs he says uh, but is this becoming a problem elsewhere or is it just the fact that there is a lack of parking in areas in where he was in Cork City your views are welcome on that thank you Jared in Bandon uh, you can call Bernie on 0818 103 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 when it comes to outdoor dining and street furniture.
A lot of people uh, having mixed views on this. Una thinks we should leave it as it is. It's a great idea, uh, while some other people feel they are blocking off the streets and footpaths and making those then who have accessibility issues go on to oncoming traffic on the road. Uh, your views are welcome. You can email across the morning as well, Cork today at c103.ie. On the way after 11, we're going to hear how some students in West Cork are travelling up to four hours a day just so they can receive an education. And this is due to West Cork not having a central special school. We'll speak to parents on that after 11. And also we're going to hear and chat with the screenwriter behind God's Creatures, uh, that movie which is out this coming Friday. Shane Crowley is going to chat with us about this, uh, how he came up and how you, how a screenwriter comes up with movies, but how he came up with this one and the idea behind it. Uh, this movie is surrounding an Irish fishing village and it's all to do with a mammy protecting her son, uh, which of course in all of that involves a web of lies. We'll hear more about that. And by the way, later uh, from 12.30, Joe Heffernan will be joining us and we'll be discussing uh, anxiety and mindfulness. That's later in the programme. But as always, your views are welcome. 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. It's JP until one in for Patricia today with Cork today. And Bernie taking your comments on what we are discussing. And if you want to raise something on the show, 0818103103. Or you can text and indeed WhatsApp to 0862103103. You can email across the show Cork Today at c103.ie ahead. We are going to hear uh, from the parents of students who are travelling up to four hours a day just so they can receive an education. And this is in the West Cork area because of no uh, central special school in that region. We'll uh, speak to those parents shortly. And also the movie God's Creatures. We'll have a chat with the screenwriter behind that later before 12 o'clock. And after 12.30 then, uh, Joe Heffernan, our regular show counsellor, he'll join us. And today we'll be discussing and dealing with anxiety and mindfulness. So that are more to come uh, between now and one. And your views are welcome. And a number of people on to us this morning. Uh, this is from Mary in Mitchellstown and also somebody else on text asking about the €200 Euro that's due to be paid out for social welfare recipients. Is there an update on this? Well, yes, this is the one-off bonus. It is worth €200 Euros, and it's going to be made and paid during April. Uh, so next month is when you will receive that it's to all long-term social welfare recipients and the exact date though has not been confirmed as yet we just double checked there uh, within the last uh, 30 minutes but no no date as yet confirmed and will the payment will be made but it will be in April and the criteria it's going to be the same uh, criteria as those who received the Christmas bonus so if you got that bonus you'll also get this bonus uh, and that will be next month in April when we get a date we'll let you know but at the moment no exact date on that and then the eviction ban which we spoke on earlier and uh, mixed views on this first of all someone on text saying anyone with a mortgage free house to let leave it empty if you don't need the money But then they say if you have a mortgage on the house, you don't have a choice. You will have to let the house to pay your mortgage. That's their view on the whole housing situation. Pat says we could have an election yet over the housing crisis and we could, Pat, that could easily happen. If it doesn't happen this time round, the housing crisis is going to go on and go on. So there could be a lot of issues over the next year when it comes to housing. 
And Maura says, I know many renters will be worried, uh, but I know so many people who own homes and cannot get into their own house as they rented it. Now, many, as we have heard from over uh, the last number of months when the eviction ban uh, came up for discussion, have left Ireland, have come back to Ireland and now want to go back into their own homes and they would have rented out their house while they were away in another country. But now they can't get into the house themselves. So Maura is saying... While these people are renting, they cannot get in and live in their own home. So there should be changes to the eviction ban when it comes to circumstances like this. I know it is very worrying for those who are renting, but there are people out there, genuine people, who in times when there was a low housing supply, offered their homes up to renters, but now they need their homes back. That should be taken into account. I don't agree with people being kicked out of their home, but surely allowances have to be made for people in this situation, says Mora. And while Jerry, he feels the eviction ban should never have been introduced into this country, Jerry says it would have had to end at some stage and whenever it does end, it was going to cause problems and here we are here we have the problems Jerry says he's hearing the opposition parties uh, saying it should be extended until next January but what happens next January you're in the depths of winter and are you going to have a situation then uh, that people will be forced to leave their homes in a winter month and go onto the streets whenever it ends it's going to cause problems Jerry feels just rip off the bandage now end it and move on and whatever the fallout is that is the fallout Jerry's views on tech Next to 0862103103. And we also discussed the issue of outdoor dining, which has got mixed reactions. Some people love it. Some people feel it should stay. But other people feel it's wrong then to be closing off footpaths and streets. And that something will have to change into the future. Well, uh, first of all, on this, a text saying it is a shame and so dangerous to have footpaths blocked to people in wheelchairs and people with buggies. I have seen parents having to go out into traffic with small children. It's just a nightmare. Common sense should prevail regarding this and uh, somebody listening to the discussion on the streets in Cork City and and what is happening uh, with the various ones that are closed there have been more or less redesigned to cater uh, for outdoor dining Uh, a texter here is saying the traffic flow is also crippling the city by this ridiculous widening of footpaths on the quays and reducing the traffic lanes and creating a virtual car park in many of the streets an example is crossing the city from the south side to get to the Limerick Road and being stuck on Patrick's Quay. The City Council allowed the construction of multi-storey car parks in the city centre in the past instead of creating more park and ride facilities. Now we have congested traffic which is causing more harm to the environment but we seem to be obsessed with wide footpaths which are underutilised at the cost of driving lanes which kept the traffic moving. And that's a good point and anybody who is going from A to B crossing the city either to get from the south side to the north side or maybe you're going to work and you could be going from Douglas to Mallow or wherever you're going. This That change has caused major issues and it is affecting now and causing traffic jams in areas of the city which never saw major traffic before. They are now. And you're right, Patrick's Key is no matter what time of the night or day you go there, there's a queue. I was one of the nights last week uh, driving, turning off towards the lower Glanmire Road uh, over near Penrose Wharf. And at that hour at 8.30, if not later than 9 o'clock, I think it was a Thursday evening, 
traffic queues. Uh, now, it was, of course, the Eve to Patrick's Day as well, so people were out and about. But outside of that, there you could see it on a Wednesday night. I saw it as well the day before. Uh, traffic queues at 8.39. Something that you would be familiar with uh, if you ever lived in Dublin, but we haven't seen that extent in Cork where but there will be queues for certain reasons, not nearly all the time. And that is happening. Patrick's Key is seeing the traffic because it's really the only way if you want to go uh, and cross, as you mentioned, towards the Limerick Road. Uh, there's no other way around it and it, it is causing hassle and then it's causing problems down around the Elysian as well because those people that would have gone different routes are now going another route to avoid the traffic build-up in the city centre and that's causing problems then in and around the Elysian area there and the city link. So yeah, I, I'm not too sure what, what's going to happen with regards to that. Mainly all of this is going on because they want people to use public transport and they basically want less cars in the city centre. But unless you're going to give us public transport, what do you do? How many people, how many examples have I got on WhatsApp here from those who are waiting for buses the bus does not show up or gets cancelled and then they can't uh, use public transport so they resort to the car so there is a, a massive issue there and interesting when you and there's another text in very like uh, that, that previous text or this is from George regarding the traffic and why are they widening footpaths and why aren't they concentrating on improving uh, public services so people can actually get into the city and walk around and enjoy those outdoor areas you talk about uh, and then regarding the widening of footpaths George picking up at a good point we mentioned this a number of weeks ago in the show Summerhill North in the city centre whereby you have wide footpaths that are used and people do use those footpaths they can be jammed in the evenings uh, they'll be making those wide footpaths. Now they're going to be narrowed and there's going to be a bus lane. Residents have concerns and those who use the area have concerns because they feel uh, out of all the parts of the city and county, that footpath is used and now they're going to make a wide footpath narrow. So a lot of the decisions are not making sense. And back to the outdoor dining, Martin uh, says he feels in his view that the outdoor dining aspect should be banned because people have uh, the right to walk on a road or walk on a footpath. They don't and should not be walking onto traffic uh, and a busy roadway they should be allowed to stay on the footpath it's not right you're putting your life in danger says Martin footpaths are called footpaths for a reason and that reason is because uh, you are there to be walking on the path not to be sitting outside on the path but to be walking on the path what will happen is someone will get hurt soon and he uh, Martin reiterates the point that the footpaths are for walking on and they are for pedestrians and offer people sitting down on chairs with tables and eating uh, says Martin on text to 086210 103. But Bill is in Clonakilty and Bill's making a good point because uh, this is something that was out in around 2004 to 2007. Cork County Council wanted €1,500 per restaurant to put a menu board on the footpath and there was a lot of discussion at that time and a lot of councillors were against this and felt it was going to hamper local businesses uh, who used uh, the board outside uh, their restaurant or bar to entice people in to have a special offer or to see what was on the menu. But Bill says, why not go back to that? Now let the businesses who want to put tables and chairs outside let them but ask them to pay rates on those table and chairs on the footpaths ask Bill in Clonakilty and I wonder do businesses maybe if there's a restaurant owner when you have uh, chairs and tables outside your premises are you paying a higher rate because of that Do you must you pay or must you ask the council if you're allowed to do this and are your rates increased then because you're using the footpath if anybody knows let us know uh, you can text or WhatsApp on 0862103103 or you can call 
Bernie on 0818103103. And we mentioned climate change there earlier following that report that was out yesterday. And John is in Clonakilty. John says on that issue, unless the big countries adopt to climate change, there's no chance for all of us. He's citing a number of examples. And this is, first of all, he says, look at China. China are building new coal factories this year and Ireland then are banning fossil fuels. Pakistan building coal factories again this year while in Ireland we are told you must change to an electric car. Now 5 million people live in Ireland and nearly 200 million people are between China and Pakistan. So while we are importing briquettes into this country says John after we closing down Bordemona we now think that we here uh, in this country we're very small and a very small fish compared to the other bigger countries so something will have to give the other countries will have to get involved in this climate change otherwise there is no point uh, going forward uh, and, and other people are saying the same that while Ireland is doing what it's doing what, looking at China and Pakistan and other countries they're not following so what is the point in going forward John and Clonakilty and a similar point by Anthea in Montanotti on text and also staying with the issue of climate change and this is going back to an earlier comment regarding traffic uh, this is Sheila who is saying I hear all the talk this morning and I saw it on the news last night regarding climate change but yes where are our public transport options we all would love to get a train we all would love to get a bus but we're not getting the options so hence we're all into our cars until they give us options we have no choice but to use cars and the climate will suffer uh, thank you for that Sheila you can email as well Cork today at c103.ie c103 jobs and on today's job slot, we have vacancies for the Intradani Island Lodge and Spa. Uh, they're going to be hosting a recruitment day and that's going on this Saturday from 12 noon to 3 o'clock. You can bring your CV on the day or indeed you can email it to eshepherd at intradoneyisland.com. Healthcare assistants are wanted for Nazareth House Nursing Home in Drumahan. You can email your CV to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com. And 360 machine drivers are wanted for work in Mallow and on the Model Farm Road you can send your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com you'll find these jobs and more online just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed This is Cork Today on C103 Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork Today at c103.ie a number of West Cork students are travelling on buses for hours a day just so that they can receive an education. A campaign was set up last year for a special school to be based in West Cork and Emily O'Driscoll from Clonakilty was one of those behind this campaign and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, first of all, just your own situation. Your own daughter, Maria, she attends a school locally to where you are and she's in an ASD unit there. That's right. Um, she's in the ASD unit in Grave School in Clonakilty. So we were lucky enough that she has a placement up there. So she'll remain there while she's in primary school. But for you and others who are in this situation, your worry is when she finishes the gorilla school and she moves on to secondary, because what age is Maria now? Maria is eight. Is eight at the moment. So she'll have another four years roughly in primary school. But you are thinking uh, ahead on this. Yeah. Um, like the way that it stands at the minute is we'll say like the local secondary school that would have an ASD unit. There's six students is all they can have inside the unit, which means that, you know, even if there's, you say, 
200 or 300 pupils, there can still only be six kids inside the unit, not six per year. As I initially thought, it's six for the whole school. So obviously, when you're thinking about the size of West Cork and the areas that Clonacilty will cater to, the chances are slim to none of a child getting a placement. Yeah, because the hinterland for Clonacilty will be huge. I mean, you're going from the likes of Tim League and touching them and, and towards Skibberine and outer areas. So it's a huge area there, uh, as a similar in the Bandon hinterlands. So if you were at the moment, if Emily was at the age where she would be going to secondary school, what are the current options open to you? Um, there's very little, actually. Um, like being realistic, if she would to have started this year, which I know was the issue with a couple of pupils, she would have having to travel for at least an hour and a half to two hours a day to try and get a place. And where would she be travelling to? Um, it could be the likes of someone like St Mary's or, you know, it could be somewhere even further away, which is obviously a major fear. And then you kind of cross over to the issue that some of these schools have to have kids that have certain diagnosis or you know, a certain level of intellectual disability, which isn't the case with a lot of kids that are on the spectrum. So it means you're kind of caught in the middle then because the schools don't just cater to children that have autism. Obviously, it's, you know, kids who would have other disabilities. And when you mentioned there the travelling aspect and uh, you mentioned you touched on St Mary's I mean we have heard from other mothers while we were discussing this uh, previously I mean I know I'm aware of one whose child travels from Clonakilty to Mayfield every day which is just a huge journey and some are saying it can take two and a half hours or even uh, roughly a four hour journey a day but if traffic is heavy that they're aware of just one way it can take two and a half hours I mean that's putting a lot of pressure on the families on the parents but also on the child who is going into to do a day of school, a day's work, and then facing, which could turn out to be four and a half hours to five hours. It's it's a long, long yeah. time. Like to be honest, there's a lot of people who are considering relocating their whole lives so that their kids would be closer to a school and closer to services, which obviously isn't right in one instance. You know, the child, no matter regardless where they live, they should have education closer to home and not having to be travelling two hours in the morning. Like there's a child who travels about two hours, ten minutes it takes the child to get to school in the morning. By the time the child gets to school, they're only able to do an hour of school and then they have to travel another two hours home. So we'll say out of the six hours that the child will be away, there's only one hour of education in that. And are you saying that even yourself would consider leaving Clonacilty and moving to a city location just so that your child can be nearer to a school, even though I would presume in Clonacilty where you are, you know, you have a lot of space there, you're near the beaches, it's a very scenic area, whereas if you move to the city, you could be in a, a larger housing estate. Yeah. And while you're nearer the facilities that you would require for your child, your quality of life could be a lot different. Plus the cost of housing in the city and the cost of living is a lot more expensive. Yeah, and you need to think as well of like the job sector and you need to think of, you know, the routine and the neighbourhoods. And like there's obviously a huge change involved in that. But, you know, if that's people's only option, 
left for a better life with our kids, then that's, you know, the only thing that's yeah. left available to do. You know, it's sad to say that. It's very sad um, because you have other children. Then uh, have you more children yourself? I do. I have a little boy as well. He's 10 months older than Maria. So you have to consider him into those equations if you're thinking of leaving and moving for just to be nearer to and to be nearer to a school. It seems wrong to say that, but that's exactly it, to be nearer to a school that will suit uh, Maria. But his life will also change then along with the rest of your family. Yeah. Like you need to think of as well, like when you're leaving your area, your family home, you're leaving behind not just, you know, your circle, but your family circle, you're leaving home. And you're leaving any support system you have, anything like that. Like, it's a very isolating thing for parents to go through. Of course it is. And you're leaving where you were brought up yourself and where you were hoping to raise your own uh, children. So there's a lot of emotion in a decision like that. And I know you and other parents, while we've heard the examples of those who are commuting over four hours a day just for education, uh, last year you spoke with us regarding this central school that hopefully would have been set up. And Dumanway, I think, was the chosen location at the time. Is there any update on this? No, um, the last time that we got an update from, like a formal update from the government, it was basically said that, oh yeah, you know, we have great news, we're building another special education school. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it'll be near St. Mary's. Like, that defeats the whole purpose. You and know, when you say St Mary's, this is St Mary's in Demanway, is it? No, St Mary's up in Civic. So there was no mention of Demanway in, in the. No. And they were no. aware that you had raised this, though. Yeah, yeah, we made all that aware, um, and like two, two or three of the parents went up to the doll and, you know, trying to fight for it and getting onto TDs, and because there is a need, we all know there's a need. You know, like the services available in West Cork, they can't cover, you know, the location. Like, it takes the same length of time to get from one side of Cork to the other than it does to get from Cork to Dublin. 
Yeah, no, you're right. We just discussed that a while ago with regards to traffic as well, that it can take an hour to get from north to south, not to mind travelling then from uh, Clonakilty or Skibbereen to the city and then face that traffic to get to the other side of the city, uh, like yeah. we heard before from, from that lady whose child attends a school in Mayfield. Uh, but surely, I mean, I know at the time the local TDs were involved in this and they were bringing this to the attention of the education departments in Dublin. Uh, did yeah. they ever come back? Because you can't go on having children spending four hours a day commuting. Yeah, like Holly Karen's now, um, she's consistently kind of, you know, trying to fight for it and bring it up and, you know, trying to make the wider government, I suppose, understand the need for it. Um, and like a lot of the problem is that the people who are in, we'll say, the higher seats who made the decision of where these schools go, they're not taking into consideration how big Cork is. Like, it's not acceptable to have a child, we'll say, back past Bantry, travelling two and a half hours every day just to get an education. Yeah, and isn't that the problem with a lot of decisions that are made with regards to Cork and especially the rural areas of Cork that those who yeah. make those in Dublin, they're not aware of the size of the county and you can't compare uh, Cork to the likes of Leash or Kildare, which are a lot smaller counties. I mean, you can drive through those in about 20 to 30 minutes if you're on the motorway. No offence to anybody from that area, but you can. You'll not drive through Cork in 30 minutes. You know, you, uh, door yeah. to door from Mitchellstown to the islands, it can be four hours uh, and we don't have the road network either. So you do need no. extra resources and schools like this. Uh, so at the moment, there's no plans. And I mean, when the plans come through anyway, as you know yourself, Emily, they'll have to go to planning. That will take a while. So it, even if you yeah. got the green light, it could take another five to 10 years. Yeah, it could. And like being realistic, when I was only speaking to mom about yesterday, and that's what we were saying, being realistic, our kids aren't going to be going to school anywhere in West Park. Because the chance of that happening are slim to none. It's like winning the lottery. You know, and it's yeah. just a case of, you know, what, what other options are there for our kids? And the thing is, you'd like them to remain in the area because then yeah. their friends are in the area, they're involved in sport in the area, while if they're in, uh, for example, I'm just using that example of, of Mayfield, if they are in Mayfield and f- living in Clonakilty, you know, they, they won't be mixing with the, those friends uh, and then trying to get them involved in a sporting club in Clon when they're hearing about a sporting club elsewhere. It, it just gets very, very confusing. So you'd rather them be uh, in the local area. Uh, your own daughter, Maria, who we mentioned, uh, I mean, she's obviously getting on well in the girls' school. Yeah, no, she, like, we're very, very lucky with Maria, where she's very settled inside the square school. Um, she's been in there now since she's three, because she was in the early intervention unit. And I can honestly, with my hand on my heart, I can see they're fantastic with her in there, and she's coming along and all this kind of thing. But then you're kind of thinking, OK, she's going to come on, and she's going to leave sixth class. Like, if Maria has to sit in a car for... And now we're in half each way to go to school. There's, I know myself, there's no way she's going to get anything done in school. You know, I wouldn't want to do any work if I had to travel an hour and a half to get there and an hour and a half home. You know, and then you have to take into consideration they're obviously going to be tired. What happens when they fall asleep on the way home in the transport? And they're asleep for an hour and a half, which means there's no sleep at night and all their routine then has gone out the window. 
Yeah, there's a knock-on effect to all that commuting. And you're right. I mean, if you're a worker and you commute, you can really feel the uh, the evidence of the tiredness towards the end of the week or even a day itself because you are tired after driving. We all drive and we get so used to it, but we're concentrating without realising it maybe a lot of the time. Uh, so it does have its outcomes. And it's interesting, the fact that you talk about sleep, there's a huge knock-on effect in for the family. You know, if the child yeah. can't sleep at night time, it affects your life. Uh, it affects the, the brother. It affects everybody else. So it has a huge knock-on effect. A taxi driver has has just contacted us there he doesn't want to be named uh, but he said he drives a lot of these children daily and he says I agree with uh, Emily and your callers it can be over two hours a day for some and he says while I just work for a company I feel really sorry for these children and the parents involved it's wrong to expect a child to commute this far for a service that they should be entitled to if not on their own doorstep surely in a nearby town uh, the company he works for carries out this service uh, but he really does feel sorry for the parents he feels it's wrong and I presume you meet those uh, taxi people when you are uh, obviously not for Emily but from the other parents involved in this group you're, you're aware of these people who, who want to take these journeys with the children yeah like when we before we moved into the town we were living outside of town so Marina used to get the taxi service in the morning and then come in home from school and even at that like we were we were only about 15 minutes away we were only living 15 minutes away from school a drive but because of the route and the way the school we said the school gets out at half two. Like Maria mightn't get home until maybe nearly half three. Because by the time all the other drop offs are done, because obviously, you know, it has to go a certain route in a certain direction and whatever. Like that was a full hour where she could have been, you know, inside home and relaxed and after her dinner and some way kind of settled. So by the time she used to come home, all she used to want to do was sleep. Yeah, and you're right. And we have heard of parents. We spoke to a parent last year. I think they were in Skibbereen uh, and their child was going to, to Manway and did a similar situation whereby obviously not fault of the bus company, but they have to stop yeah. at certain locations. And if you know rural yeah. areas, you'll be going from, you know, to Manway, to Drina and different places eventually onto Skibbereen. Uh, and it does have a knock on effect then, as we mentioned, reg- regarding the child. Um, we'll wait and see what happens regarding any further plans to be mentioned of the special school in Manway, which would have a huge help uh, from a secondary level for a lot of those students uh, and send our love to Maria as well in the girls' school. Brilliant. Thanks very much for having me on. Emily, thanks for highlighting what you were going through and other parents there. It just shows the uh, the system we are in at the moment within our special needs education. That's Emily O'Driscoll joining us from Clonakilty. Our lines are open 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And it just, as I said, highlights what is uh, happening. And to think that, and we've got texts here coming in from people who are agreeing with everything Emily is saying. And uh, they are one of those parents. Uh, this is Jess who says, I totally agree I have to travel myself we can't get a taxi for the moment or a bus I'll travel an hour and a half every day to bring my son Colin uh, to a school that he attends and then again I go back home I do my bits around the house I work three days a week luckily my employer is very good to me so I can work from home two days I go into the office one day uh, but I still have to travel that hour and a half in the evening uh, to collect my son Uh, it's not fair on him putting that pressure on him uh, and him waiting in the school some days for me uh, but also it's putting a strain on our family and indeed on relationships Uh, that suggests to text 0862 103 103 Record today on 
C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. God's Creatures is described as a psychological drama film and is released in cinemas this Friday. Screenwriter of the movie is Shane Crowley and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Shane. Uh, hey man, how are you doing? I'm fine. Now, a lot of people are looking forward to this film. We've seen the trailer. But before we go into the actual uh, film itself, uh, screenwriting, how did you get into this or how does someone get into screenwriting? Random enough, to be honest with you, on my behalf. Um, I actually studied for five years in uh, the lovely Cork City myself. I did a master's in history there in UCC. That was around 2009. Great time for it, after, uh, just after the crash, came out of college, was was only floating around working in restaurants and stuff. And my buddy, Fola, she's, um, she was going through a master's in production, uh, producing over in London, doing the, in the NFTS, it's a big film school there. She had great success with a short film that she made, and she was looking to uh, diversify her kind of, you know, interests in feature films and stuff like that. So she wanted to set a film in our locality in County Kerry, um, we live close to kind of the sea. Her parents are oyster farmers or her family are oyster farmers. So she had an idea of setting a story in that world. And for some strange reason, she decided to pitch it to me um, based on these kind of emails that I would write to friends when I was traveling around New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, like that sounds very random, but that was how I got my kind of start in it. Um, yeah. So she obviously saw your talent. I mean, would you say yourself you're a natural storyteller? Um, I mean, maybe. It might be in the blood. My father's a hammy actor um, in a local drama group um, in Kerry. And my brother Morris, is, he, he's an actor as well. He, he's been in various film and television. Uh, but yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe it's just I have a, a talent for writing that she kind of pushed or she saw and pushed me. So, yeah, yeah. I learned, I think, on the job. We wrote this script for eight years, so it definitely didn't come naturally. It was like a long, it was a slow moving train uh, to get to, to get it into production. Well, maybe it is in the blood, uh, considering your dad is involved as well in, in, in the drama group. And uh, is this your first screenplay or have you written others before this? It's my first, well, it it was my first screenplay um, originally. So, like, as I said, we wrote the very first version of this in 2013 mm. and it went into production in 2021. Obviously, in the intervening years, written many other things, got a couple of short films made and, yeah, like, you know, building up other things. But yeah, it's my first produced feature film. Yeah, it is indeed. And without giving anything away now about God Creatures, uh, we'll have a chat about it without <laughs> revealing plot lines. It's yeah, setting, yeah, first yeah. of all, it's it's in a fishing village. I mean, you mentioned there yourself, you're from Kerry, you're from Kilorglin, is it? I'm from Kilorglin, yeah. Even though on the, on the uh, circuit recently, people keep on asking me if I'm from Cork. Um, <laughs> maybe it's my accent. I, I don't think they realise how much of a... An insult that is to a carry man, but anyway. <laughs> well, see, the accents are, 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 depending where you are in Cork, the West Cork accent and the South Kerry accent can be yeah, very yeah, alike yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. so maybe that's why. I know, I've been called worse, I've been called worse. <laughs> uh, but of course, when I mentioned Clorgan, they're near you uh, in Cremon, that would be a fishing area. So regarding this film, God's Creatures, which is set in a fishing village, did you get some of your yeah. ideas or did they feature around that area of Kerry? Well, that's exactly where Fola's family are from. They're, oh. they're, they live in Cremont. They live on that kind of this weirdly tidal area where the tide comes in and the tide goes out and exposes these massive uh, seabeds where there's massive uh, oyster farms there. So that's where, yeah, 100% the 
lo- idea for the location came from the film itself is like a fictional carry of the head to to a certain extent and it's set kind of around the turn of the millennium uh so yeah it's it's not one place rather than kind of a more general place uh, or a town that you know in Kerry. And the storyline really goes between the mother and her son and there's a web of lies, as there always is in a, in a rural village. There's a lot of rumours and stories and it's kind of focusing on that. Absolutely. So yeah, it's about this kind of... This guy who comes back uh, to live in Ireland after being a long time away and he comes back and moves into his parents' house um, and he hasn't been in contact with them kind of while he's away. So that kind of suggests there's a bit of conflict in the household before he left. But he comes back and it that fills his mother's uh, just life with joy again, like his absence has kind of been the, the sour note in her life since he left. So they kind of both are like, their presence to each other is deeply meaningful. Um, and you just see yeah, at the start of the film, I think you get this sense of joy and, you know, love that they have for each other. But then it kind of takes a bit of a twist because it's like, so myself and Fola, we, when we first wrote this, it was, it was about like a, the changing circumstances of these fishermen's lives. You know, they lived kind of self-sufficient lifestyles and then the Celtic Tiger era happened and they had to kind of, you know, abandon that lifestyle for, you know, safer work. But we just in the mid 2010s, there was like certain stories happening around like towns and villages in Killar in Kerry, not Killar, not necessarily Killarland, like variously around Kerry, about these small communities um excusing the actions of rapists um and yeah, victimizing uh re victimizing the victim in these in certain instances of sexual assault particularly cases where the victim actually pursued their rapist in the court and won, which we found deeply uncomfortable because, I mean, I, for one, love my town and my culture, but it's like that is something I'm deeply uncomfortable with, and we wanted to reflect that in this kind of story we were creating. So, yeah, it's about this sexual assault claim that's made against the guy who comes back uh, to live in his parents' house um, from Australia, and the lie then that his mother gives to protect him um, like an alibi. And it just follows the consequences then of that lie for them both um, within the community, within the culture and for this for this victim as well and, and like their changing relationships. And of course, the guy that comes back from Australia, he's played by Paul Meskel. And one of the reasons why this film has become so well known, I suppose, initially was because of Paul mentioning his next project, which is God's Creatures. And he was on US TV and he was at the Dublin Film Festival. So it, that alone has given this movie great exposure before it ever hits the cinema. Big time, yeah. Um, like it actually, do you know what, funnily enough, it got released in America uh, in last September. So it got released in cinemas there first. So they did like a publicity run over there before they did anything. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's such a like, it's such a fortuitous time for us um, to launch the film after Paul's um, success with the Oscars. We actually premiered ourselves. We actually premiered the film in Cannes last year as well. We were in the, the director's fortnight. So there's, it's already had quite a long life, but it's honestly, it's a great privilege to finally bring it to the Irish audiences that we like, that this film is particularly made for. And, you know, like I just, I would say rather than watching a film like this on like a stream or on a Netflix or an Apple, it's so important, I think, to watch this film in a, in a cinema with other people because hopefully it'll spark like a conversation. Um, yeah. 
because yeah, I think there's they're, they're like it's it, it's a, it's an interesting film, I think. And then while the film is is obviously produced now, when it was being filmed, I mean, are you there on set while they're filming, or are you not? Yeah, do you remember there was that really deep lockdown at the start of 2021 that mm-hmm. ran from like January to May, I think, actually, funnily enough. Yeah, so we, as I said, it's kind of set in Kerry, but um, we found it just, we found this ideal location up in Donegal um, around Teelan and Kilcar. Um, uh, and there's a, like a, there's a, a tax break for shooting up in that in the, in the northwest of the country. Um, under it, it's called the Rap Fund. So but we relocated there, and yeah, I was up there for four months. I was in the rehearsals with the actors um, the ten days before we started shooting. Amazing experience. My, again, my first experience of that ever. Uh, and then yeah, I was in set every day. More just kind of like a like an awkward or stupid presence in the background. Uh, and if if they wanted to ask a question, I was there. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was an amazing experience. It was, it really was. And what's it like then watching the actors perform, knowing a lot of this and what they're saying is your own work? Um, it, I mean, like the most probably, like, yeah, I think in the rehearsals, we were in this kind of old closed down hotel at the time. It was as if when COVID happened, like there was a wedding set to happen the next day but it never happened. They just closed the doors in this hotel and no one had re-entered it since. So we were in this surreal environment and next thing I sit down in a chair and first walks in Emily Watson and then walks in Paul Meskel. Uh, and I like, I think that moment particularly, you're kind of like, you're very nervous and you're kind of in disbelief. And then they take out a script and they're reading the words. Yeah. I think that was the one moment where I was in a little bit over my head. But subsequently it was you realize it's actually, you know what, this isn't necessarily you. It's a collaboration that you're having with these actors, with these directors, with the producer, so, and the rest of the cast and crew. So it was just like, it was an amazing team experience, I would say. Uh, yeah, and it's something I'll always remember. And Ireland is doing well when it comes to movies and all TV production at the moment. I mean, you mentioned that rap funds and also Screen Ireland. Good to have mm-hmm. these in place. Like, for example, Smother, which was a huge success. And I know uh, Kate Reardon from yeah, Bantry yeah, was yeah. involved with the writing of that one. Uh, that was produced with help from uh, the likes of rap and Screen Ireland. So with more of these, you'll see more of Ireland. Do you know what? We probably don't sing the praises of those kind of funds enough, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean... When I left, uh, I, I went to screen, I went to film school myself in the mid 2010s, and when I came out of it, you know, I moved back to Kerry. Um, and rather than having to get maybe um, you know work that I didn't want to be doing, I was able to apply for funding to Screen Ireland, and they supported this this script, God's Creatures, from 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 the ground up. And based on the little like the bit of income they were able to provide me, I was able to focus solely on this on this screenplay for you know at a time where maybe otherwise in other countries that wouldn't have been possible so yeah i couldn't sing their praises enough it's amazing probably they're what those funds are matched now by the success of the likes of Colin Kuhn and everything so yeah it's an amazing thing yeah and there'll be more of those in the next and upcoming years hopefully for the moment Shane a great chatting to you this morning the best of luck with God Creatures it's out this coming Friday in cinemas across Ireland and uh, I'm sure a lot of will be going to see that because the storyline itself uh, when it comes to anything uh, Irish involving a mother and a son I think people get caught up in those so I've no doubt it will do well in Irish cinemas and best of luck for the future 
thank you kindly sir take care take care that is Shane Crowley there a Clorgland native uh, who was the screenwriter in that film as I mentioned it is out this Friday earlier we were speaking with Emily regarding ASD places and indeed how so many uh, children in West Cork are travelling four hours a day just to avail of education they're leaving their homes in either Skibbereen or Clonakilty and they're travelling to areas of the city so they can get schooling well this is from someone who is a teacher we won't name their name but they are in a secondary school uh, which has an ASD unit and they believe the problem with the lack of places is the Department of Education's fault if they had ASD units at primary school level then they know the number of places needed and should plan ahead and build the required ASD units needed at secondary school level all secondary schools should build on or open ASD units to meet the demands needed based on the number of pupils with ASD at primary level this bad planning and the pupils and their families are suffering as a result it's not fair and again yeah that's very logical what that teacher is saying and they're in the know they're in the education system and you would think if you have an ASD unit at a primary school you know if there was for example 10 students in there well they're going to be going on to the secondary school in that area that serves that area and if the places aren't there then they need to do something about it but it's not being done uh, thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103 Cork today until 1JP with you and Bernie taking those comments on 0818103103 you can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862103103 and after 12.30 we'll be joined by our show counsellor Joe Heffernan discussing this week anxiety and mindfulness that's ahead but first the government is preparing to go head to head with opposition parties this evening over over its decision to end the eviction ban. A Sinn Féin motion calling for the ban to be reintroduced will be debated in the Dáil later and voted on tomorrow. Many are asking us this morning how are rural independent TDs voting while Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins uh, joins me. Michael, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, uh, John Paul. What way do you intend on voting? Well, I'm going to support uh, the Sinn Féin uh, motion this evening in relation to the continuation of the eviction ban. I'm not doing that, you know, just the flick of a finger at all. I put a lot of thought and time into that. And the reason uh, for my decision, John Paul, is the amount of people that are coming to me that are facing eviction. And I do have, a, a, you know, a, a, a sincere, uh, genuine uh, sympathy for uh, some, a lot of small landlords. They're in a lot of uh, trouble themselves too. Uh, but uh, the people being faced with eviction far away uh, the amount of landlords that come to me saying that they they need to sell their property, whatever. Um, and I have that every every weekend in my clinics, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The people, I had a lady inside in my office uh, last uh, Saturday week crying for a half an hour. And she had a letter in front of her. She has to get out of her house. Um, and she doesn't know where to turn. And unfortunately, that's a situation right across, whether it is all the way from Catalonia Bear out to out as far as can say. It's, it's, I'm meeting it every day of the week. And on that basis, I will be supporting uh, the Sinn Féin motion this evening. But also, in, in fairness, John Paul, and this is what's been forgotten here, is and it, 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 like the landlord, the, the small landlords, three, four, five houses, they're genuine people that might have uh, inherited a, a, a bit of land and maybe built it or inherited a few houses or whatever down through the years. They're being hammered every day inside this doll, continuously hammered by Sinn Féin, by Labour, Social Democrats, people before profit. What do they want? They do, if they continue the way they're going, there'll be no landlords left in this country, and there'll be no houses for anybody left in this country. So what we try to do is, well, I, I will support this motion this evening, Jimmy. I, we're also putting in a number of amendments, the Rural Independent Group, amendments that at least will give uh, 
landlords some chance or some incentive to survive or continue to, to let their property because that incentive hasn't been given by this government. This government has failed them terribly, terribly uh, landlords, but they've also failed the people that are being evicted on the street. And one of the, uh, John Paul, one of the amendments, and I, I, we have about eight or nine of them tonight, but one of them is to immediately implement policies to address the exodus of small landlords from the rental sector, including implementing incentives of small landlords to stay in the market, such as the deduction of local property tax, operating expenses against tax income, and give it, and for the first 14,000 of rental that they earn, that they, it will be rent-free. Because people don't realise most of the money that the, the landlord gets, 50% of it is taxed. And everybody's saying, you know, hit him further, hit him further, or force him into... But what we are doing effectively is forcing him to sell, or her to sell, and we can't continue that policy in this country. Yeah, and we've heard that from landlords who have openly told us this morning and indeed over the last few weeks that if it continues and when the eviction ban does lift, they're just going to sell the property and who's going to be there because they feel if a future government comes in that they'll have no rights as a landlord and that's why they're getting out. So that's something you don't want either. But uh, regarding smaller landlords, which you've included there in your amendments, what about those then who have left Ireland for work? They're returning, yet yeah, they're accidental landlords, but they have come back and while they're renting themselves, they just want to return to the house they own and live in their own home because they might have left for work they're now back uh, is there anything in, in the rural TDs or the regional group that has included this is an amendment whereby the eviction ban uh, continues that those who own their homes and just left the country for work who are back that they can get into their own homes well, we have we have several situations, John Paul, and the most 90% of the people that come to me that are looking for a home or being evicted from a home are genuine people. But there are people out there that won't pay. There are people out there that do wreck to landlord's house. And those, that, no matter what laws or what uh, motions passed or not passed here tonight, or t- tomorrow in the doll, even discussed tonight, they, they have to protect those people. If somebody is not willing to be, if somebody does damage to a person's property, they certainly need to be evicted out of a person's home. And there needs to be laws in the, um, the PTRB are, are, I think, sometimes a bit too relaxed in, in relation to anti-landlord. So the landlord is feeling unprotected out there at this present time. And you probably feel further unprotected when I uh, support the, the, the continuation of this eviction. But the only way I, I feel is, is, I'm hoping at some stage that the government wakes up and starts putting in solutions. To date, there is no solution and we're very close I feel in this country to a general election on this issue because people are losing complete and utter confidence in a government that allows 10, 12, 11,000 people uh, be homeless at, at this time or, or, or without a home at this time but also John Paul we have to look at what, why and what solutions can be put in there and some of the amendments are, are putting forward solutions if our amendments are, are taken I can assure you at least some solutions we put in place you look at go from town to town look at the rooms could the roofs off houses and people looking for planning permission so maybe to give a person home a home to live in and can't get planning permission inside in these towns inside in the countryside I have people from Bella de Hobb Barry Row, Tim Lee coming to me the last two or three weeks refuse planning permission young people say to me what do I do go on a social housing list it's chronic our planning laws are totally and utterly outdated and are anti trying to give someone a start in life I have somebody in an island off with Cork that wanted to get planning permission in their own home it cost them 10,000 euros and they got refused it's scandalous what's going on out there and it's pushing people into the social housing it's pushing people in to look for housing from the state and you have parties like Sinn Féin like Labour Social Democrats and the people who are profit who are a bit like the late HO who think there's going to be a house one for everyone in the audience that's not how the system works and you know well we can support this uh, continuation of the eviction men I will 
But I'm looking for a solution out there that's not coming. And I've been calling in that solution since I got elected since 2016. And unfortunately, nobody's listening. Vulture funds are throwing people out of their own homes, wrongfully in many, many cases. And everybody seems to be uh, totally against in a landlord is trying to make a few quid and survive. And basically, make, you know, nobody wants to be in the business for nothing but make a modest profit. Uh, and the small landlord is not making that and being forced continuously out of, out of business. And, you know, well, I'm going to support the continuation of the eviction ban, yes, um, that's to try and see can solutions be put in place that people aren't going to be sleeping, which they are, which they come to me in a van, in a car, without a home. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Well, I don't know what solutions can happen in the long term, Michael, because it's the main solution that is needed is houses to be built. But if they were going to build a number of houses, even today, by the time planning goes through, you have foundations down, you physically build the house and get it out to those either on social housing or those buying in the private market, that will still take a number of years. So regardless of how this eviction ban goes, it's not going to solve the situation. There are simply not enough homes there. And as I said, if they go building today, it's not going to solve the issue. I fully respect that, John Paul, but I've been calling since 2016 for the change of, of planning laws in this country. But at least give the people who want and who can try and get a market and it's very difficult at these times, and who can try and build a house at the exorbitant prices that they're to build, but are still trying to do so and are being refused to do so. So what are they being These people are being left there. They're speechless when they come before me. Because some people go through the planning process, come to me, and when they've been refused, I told them, the train's gone from the station, you'd like to come to me before this. So at least we could see could we do something and work with the planners to give them a clear understanding. This is a young couple who want to start off in life. They've got a mortgage. They'll have a site at home. Why are you continuously refusing to give them planning? And maybe, in some cases, hardly speak to them. You have the other situations where you have ruins in, in towns and villages that have maybe in some villages. I know somebody that has trying to do up a, a number of ruins in, in a village that there's no roof. They're going through the most nightmare time with the planning authority to simply do up the local town, basically, and put a huge positive in the local, local town. So, well, it's, it's, it's difficult to see if there's an eviction ban continued to see where the improvements are going. The government has failed the people like Devon Health, like Devon other issues too, but in particular with, 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 with housing at this stage. People and have been left down terribly bad continuously down through the years by, by successive government. And on the housing and on the eviction ban, which we, we are discussing, uh, Jerry, one of our callers, was on to us earlier on, and he's making the point that the government should never introduce this eviction ban in the first place because no matter when they end this and lift the ban, it was going to create this type of situation. Would you agree with him on that? Well, the minute they, they introduced an eviction ban, if they were going to go ahead with it, they should have put in solutions that, there were, that at least at the end of the eviction ban might be starting to kick in. They put in no solution. They're just throwing an eviction ban. It sounded good. Just coming to an end now, and they're caught here in the middle of the road, and their trousers are down basically because they don't know what, whether to go left, right, or in centre now because they have nothing. Now, apparently, there's going to be a package released now again uh, this evening, you know, to try and save their, save their bacon. That's not the way. You know, it's like trying to on top of a fire. It's, it's, they're inflaming the matter further. I don't think they have the capability of it. I don't have any confidence in them turning this around because it's worth it getting. I just think that they haven't looked at this more simplified issues and a lot of lovely rural towns and villages because many, many times I brought this up in the doll could have housed lots of lots of families that can't find homes in other places. I even was I'm on the board of management of a school recently and there's a recent development in a local town which meant there was an, a rural town which there was an increase of children in the school which is brilliant. Great idea. Fabulous. And we have forgotten and, and walked away from from the simplicities of how to resolve this issue and left it blow 
completely out of control. And now we're going to be frantically picking, uh, as I said, pepper on top of a fire now uh, this evening and tomorrow to try and save their beacon. But uh, like, I have no confidence in this government to be able to resolve this issue. But I have to support the people that are going to be without a home in the, in the very near future that are absolutely terrified, John Paul. Absolutely terrified. Don't know where to turn. Uh, they're looking to me to see, you know, sometimes I get angry, get very angry inside my clinic. And, you know, I've often told them, what, what do you think? I don't have a, a host in the boat of my car, but I certainly will try my best to make sure they, their, their, their situation is, is, is put in council and the home inspections and all that. But it's a very, very difficult time for people. And, and I, I'm afraid continuous governments have left them down and it's, it's coming to roost. It's coming home to roost, John Paul. And regarding the vote now, which will be tomorrow on the debate tonight, we're aware of some independent TDs, yourself now obviously voting with the motion. Uh, Michael Healy Ray so far has said he will as well. Other independent TDs are waiting and they're going to be discussing the amendments that they are putting towards the government to see if they will take it on board and they may vote with the government. Are you aware of how many of those, maybe seven independent TDs within your group are going to vote? Because really it's so tight, it could uh, go down to the wire and they need the likes of yourselves independent entities the government do that is if they are confident enough to get it over the line for them Well it looks like some of their own uh, the government uh, TDs are not going to support them this is well, one that I know of and maybe another uh, as the day goes on but all I can say is we have six in our rural independent group um, and we've been very consistent in, in relation to, uh, to be in opposition to the government to hold them accountable um, the regional independent group are more some of them are you know, maybe Farmer Finnegan or whatever, Farmer in Hall, and they may be supportive to them. But uh, all I can say is, look, we're meeting this evening at, at 4.45, our rural independent groups. I know then who, who is and who isn't. At the moment, I think the majority of us are supporting the, the Sinn Féin motion. We're still putting forward amendments. The problem with amendments recently, John Paul, I noticed, and motions even, we have a government that supports it. We did it with the cash, cashless bank uh, uh, and cashless uh, society out there recently. But the, the government will support it, but they won't implement what we want in our motion, and we want action in our motion, which they would cash it, and we want action in our motion in relation to giving small-time landlords some tax relief to try and encourage them to stay in the market. We, you know, and while they'll come in, they'll support him, and they'll just squash it as it goes along. So, the, I, you, you know, while it's important to put forward amendments, and it's important that we get support in those amendments, I certainly won't be taking any chances that they'll support them and then at the same time squash them as they go along. I certainly yeah. won't be so supporting are you fearful, uh, the government tonight. So, so could it be a situation that... While it is going to be tight, do you feel that some of the backbenchers, you, you mentioned uh, the Greens there, could we see backbenchers in Fine Gael and Fine Fáil? Have you heard that within Leinster House today that may vote uh, with Sinn Féin? I very, very much doubt that. I don't think they have the backbone uh, and, uh, to do that, it's unfortunately, because I think sometimes these uh, Fine Fáil and Fine Gael politicians will have to sit up and, 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 and represent their, their constituents. So on that, you feel party. it will pass, that the government will win out this? I, 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 they will win tonight. Except, except I'm totally wrong, and if they uh, will on that vote, but there is a there is a vote of no confidence uh, being proposed uh, by from what I can gather the Labour Party in the next week. So you know that's another battle that's going to have to be looked at, and I, I, I again have to look at it and see. You know, nobody wants a general election. The country probably doesn't want a general election, but we certainly cannot have this crisis continue, John Paul, where people are homeless and people, are, uh, you know, are, are are terrified out of their mind to be honest. And, uh, any one of us could understand that even those who have a home today and are happy in their home 
could well imagine if somebody, if you got a letter saying your home has been taken from you, the terror and the worry. Yeah, uh, and renters uh, are very worried, especially those who may be living away from home and have no choice to rent. Or if you have a family and you're renting and you have two young uh, children under that roof, you're worried that you'll get a letter in April or May saying, sorry, you have six months or nine months to leave the home because the landlord is getting out of the market or, or doing something else with the house. Uh, on what you mentioned there regarding the Labour Party and their emotion of no confidence in the government, that is due to come in the next uh, few weeks as well uh, if they don't reverse the decision which they likely will not do how would you vote on that no confidence I, well first of all John Paul I'm going to have to look at what's the no confidence on is it on housing is it on health or whatever you know and mm-hmm. I, I, I make up my mind from there it's, it's a bit earlier because that hasn't been before it's like this one is before us and I made my mind up very very early on this well you, d- you did that. mention health there and housing so by your by the way you're talking I, I would imagine you'd be voting no confidence I in them could not support a government that uh, with, with the way the health crisis in this country and with the way the housing crisis in this country it would be almost impossible if you had any um, any respect for the electorate out there that, that, that elected me, I would find it almost impossible to support a government that hasn't been active on both fronts and have left things slip and are frantically trying to put something in place this evening to, to bring some people on board, which is, 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 is totally wrong as far as I'm concerned. Well, we'll wait and see what happens with the first vote and that's the eviction ban vote uh, and that motion. Uh, before I let you go, uh, Michael, earlier this morning we were hearing from uh, parents and you'll be aware of this who have uh, young children who were travelling up to four hours a day just so they can receive an education. There was supposed to be uh, an agreement um, between the education department at some stage to come and look at that in West Cork whereby a special school was to be set up. There was a location talks of Dunmanway. They were supposed to meet and you know discuss this and, and look at a way forward and I know the three uh, local TDs yourself, Holly Carnes and Christopher Sullivan were involved with this as well at the time. Uh, nothing has happened. We still have parents this morning on who were quite worried over this and are worried about their children who were in primary school now reaching the age of attending secondary school. Um, can the three of you again get together and, and raise this in the doll? Uh, many of the parents say that those making the decisions aren't aware of the geographical size of Cork and that is one of the reasons why this is moving on. Could that be something that you can touch on with your two other uh, parliamentary parties uh, as in Social Democrats Holly Carnes and Fianna Fáil's Christopher O'Sullivan and work on that together? Absolutely, and we have too. And you know, we've been, there's been a considerable progress has been made, and, and unfortunately, it's left to volunteers. And you know, there's been uh, the Kilburton tractor run in relation to you know the autism mm-hmm. centre that they want to build, and and, and, and raising funds down through uh, Jim O'Mania and, and others that have been raising funds to try and seek to build the centre. I think it is progressing, but it's progressing slowly. But it is progress, and it's something that may uh, we'd say not have been, uh, I'd say, on the cards five or six years ago it has progressed significantly now but there's still issues there's still funding to be got but there's there's uh, an amount of flicking green lights moving in the right direction for a centre and and, and, and Dunmanway and I'd hope that that, that they'd you know be more say government i say I suppose a bit of a better push like as such like it's great to be supportive of them, but we need you know dates for when things are going to start and when there's going to be a building put in place uh, and if this 
if this plan goes ahead, which I'm very confident that it will because there's a great organisation behind it, it will be a huge uh, boost for parents in, in, in West Cork and a huge centre of, of excellence because they, they have a fabulous plan uh, put in place. On they have indeed and it's, it's good you mentioned to Manway is still being noted as the location and hopefully those green lights will continue. Michael, I know you must head on to more meetings ahead of a busy day today in Leinster House for the moment. Thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. That is Cork South West Independent Deputy Michael Collins and he voting to extend the ban in favour of the Sinn Féin motion. Your views are welcome. 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Shambhalimore bingo that is going ahead in the community centre this evening in Shambhalimore at 8 o'clock. And fundraising is going ahead also, but this is for an AstroTurf pitch in Castleton Bear Primary School and this will be to the benefit of the whole community of the Bear Peninsula a GoFundMe page has been set up to raise €50,000 which they need for this AstroTurf pitch at Castleton Bear Primary School and if you want to help out you can do so they have a GoFundMe page as I mentioned but you can also buy a square for €200 or a half a square for €100 you'll get full details on that GoFundMe page which is on Cree Community Astro and Mallow Daffodil Day Committee they are looking for volunteers for the annual flag day and that is going ahead this coming Friday if you have an hour or two to spare well you can enter your name on the roster sheet and that sheet is at McSweeney's Footwear on the main street in Mallow and a coffee morning is going ahead at Cottrell Shop in Ballonhastic that's on this coming Friday morning all in aid of the Cancer Society it runs there from 9am to 2pm and also a coffee morning will be held at O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Bandon and that's going ahead this Friday morning as is the coffee morning at Chaplin's Bar in Bandon also all in aid of the Irish Cancer Society. If you wish to include your event in the Cork Diary you can email us the details email diary at c103.ie This is Cork Today on C103 Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c103.ie And comments following our chat with Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins on uh, that vote in the Dáil. First of all, Heidi saying uh, the landlord is definitely being pushed to the brink by this government. Some tenants not paying their rents. What do they want or think the landlords should do? Uh, landlords have not pockets full of money either. How long can they keep being pushing up uh, with this rubbish? The government is letting all its people down, says Heidi. Uh, while Michael uh, says those independent TDs who are considering voting against the government should remember that there is every possibility they could bring down the government and cause a general general election. Uh, They should seriously think again on the consequences of their actions. They certainly would not be thanked for this, says Michael, while Aaron saying the same. He says the last thing we need now in this country is more instability. We saw what happened in the UK with the change in prime ministers there. We don't need a change of government at the moment in Ireland. Uh, The banking situation is quite warning across Europe. The last thing we need is an uncertain time for our government and indeed a general election. It could make a situation a lot worse for us in this country no matter how many people are angry and yes we all are angry with the current government. We don't need instability uh, says Aaron on text to 0862 103 103. On access we discussed earlier as well 
and this was footpaths being blocked off by chairs and boards and cars parking on footpaths. Tom is in Blarney and he travels on the bus to Patrick Street uh, to Blarney but at Spring Lane in Blackpool he says the bus stops and when it does stop he says there's cars parked there at the bus stop so the bus has to stop on the road and then people have to get off the bus while crossing the road that then can cause a traffic jam but cars are parked in the bus stop so basically the bus can't stop where it should be he said it's dangerous for all those who are getting off and I know while you mentioned that there in Blackpool Tom uh, there's a situation similar in Clonakilty where the bus can't stop there either uh, due to cars parking in the bus stop there in Clonakilty and John is in Cove he says the same here with public footpaths paths are blocked as well with chairs and seating on them it started during Covid it's still continuing he feels there is no need for them now some of your comments regarding the situation of access to footpaths and how things should be looked at following that audit or review that we spoke about earlier on the show regarding street furniture on footpaths and indeed on streets which have now become pedestrianised not only in city areas but also in county town. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And we're joined as usual on a Tuesday by our regular show councillor Joe Heffern and good afternoon to you Joe. Good afternoon, JP. And this is something that is spoken a lot about, especially in, in companies. Anybody working will always get emails on mindfulness. And today we are going to speak about that and indeed anxiety. Mm. Yeah, because I suppose, JP, we're living in a time of anxiety for many. You know, you have the the eviction bill, you have the cost of living, you have the war in Ukraine. Yeah, it's it's a tricky, tricky old time. And um, younger people especially have been dealt, um, you know, a bad old hand of cards, really, um, in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, housing, um, uh, renting, uh, all of that. Um, I, I feel a great um, amount of empathy and sympathy for the younger generation, Um I have to say that in my day, long time ago, um, things were definitely easier. Um, you know, the the um, the idea of owning your own home was a real runner. It was um, expected, really. And um, nowadays, um, that seems like a faraway dream. And all of these things then cause anxiety. And... Um, uh, so what do we do with it? Um, I suppose the first thing to remember is that anxiety is in the body, not in the mind. And how it gets to the body is that a part of the brain, the amygdala, um, which is kind of the sentry or the help in times of danger, um, uh, mistakenly um, signals danger when, in fact, there is no real danger. So the rush of adrenaline then to the arms, the legs for flight or fight um, uh, gets uh, triggered. And um, how do we deal with that? Well, one of the things that I would have shared with people down through the years is that anxiety is in the body, not in the mind. It's not so the remedy for it is not a thinking thing, it's a doing thing. And the doing, quite simply, is breathing. 
and breathing is the essence of mindfulness. In other words, like that we bring ourselves right into the present moment um, and we become aware of our breathing. And um, uh, in all the advisory books, apps, whatever, to do with breathing, you always hear the word deep, um, deep breathing. And what does it mean? Well, many a person mistakes it for hard breathing. In other words, like kind of like, if you don't mind me doing this on air, you know, oh, yeah. um, really Inhaling too breathing. strong, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas deep breathing means breathing to the tummy. It's as simple as that. That if 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 we look in our body as um, you know near the surface, as it were, if it was like a swimming pool, well, up around the throat and uh, chest would be the shallow part, and down into the tummy would be the deep part. So, deep breathing means breathing to the the tummy, and. Um, Usually, the best way of doing that is to gently kind of uh, fold the arms, as it were, across the tummy, um, you know, just resting on the tummy. And on the in-breath, uh, one will um, feel the the tummy um, expanding because uh, if you blew into a balloon, it would expand. And if you breathe into your tummy, it will expand. And that means things are going pretty well. So we learn then to, as it were, um, be very aware of where we are, what we're doing. In this case, more than likely, well, we might be sitting, we might be standing, we might be away out somewhere, or we might be at home. And... um, that what we do then is we become aware of our breathing. And um, what I find is that I kind of, I, I tell myself things like, I'm breathing in and I can hear it. Like, you know, my method would be in through the nose and then hold for two or three seconds and then out through the mouth. So in the nose, hold out the mouth. And And Joe, is that due to calm or supposed to calm your body? Absolutely. Because if you can calm the body, the mind will follow. In other words, you can't do it the other way around. You can't think yourself calm, but you can act yourself calm. Somebody had a very clever way of putting that at at some stage. Uh, The sentence I remember was... um, uh, we can't think ourselves into good living, but we can live ourselves into good thinking. In other words, like it's a doing thing. The breathing is a doing thing. And um, you'd often hear, wouldn't you, in all walks of life, somebody might say, take a breath. Yeah. Take, a, take a nice deep breath. But they know what they're talking about. It's, it's a, it does work provided that we, you know, uh, that it doesn't become kind of frenetic, like, (laughs) I mean, that wouldn't do much good. But a nice, slow breath, as I say, I prefer in through the nose, hold, and then out the mouth, um, uh, you know, like a sigh, 
Um, it can be it can be noisy, and that the thoughts that go with it would be very focused in on the present moment. Like, I'm breathing in, I'm holding, I'm breathing out, and if you can focus in on that, um, you know, breathing um, uh, repeatedly, well then, um, the 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 body will relax. And the mind will follow. Uh, Liam and is on text actually, Joe, asking what do you mean about the body? Uh, he would get worried a lot recently due to workloads, he says, but he finds it's like butterflies in his stomach. And he has tried the breathing exercises, you say, and it has worked from him. Uh, but is he right? Is that one of the symptoms, I suppose you could call it in a way that you would get a worked up stomach if you are feeling under pressure that then is leading to anxiety? Oh, absolutely. Without question or doubt. Um, I mean, that's a that's a, a perfect example of uh, the body and anxiety. Another thing I like to check is I would check where are my shoulders. Now, if my shoulders are up around my ears, it means I'm, and I suppose the phrase didn't fall out of the sky, I'm uptight. And um, what I do in my first series of breaths, the in, the hold, the Exhale. On the exhale, I just let my shoulders come down. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to see a person doing it and the, the, the clear um, relaxation of the body. And uh, when I would talk to a person, when we would have done a couple of these um, uh, breaths in and breaths out, um, they would say, yeah, yeah, that works. That um that 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 gives me a very relaxed and relaxing feeling. And Joe, would food also and diet would that play a part? Well, I think it would. Um, uh, you know, we constantly hear about um, you know, sugar, for example, and um and poor diet, but um, sugar especially, I suppose, because it's a stimulant and um, uh. That might be very good in the morning when we want to kind of get up the energy and all that. But if we're having a bit of nervousness or anything, uh, the last thing we want is to be stimulated. We want to relax. So, yeah, diet would have a fair lot to do with it. Now, I wouldn't pretend to know an awful lot. Um, I mean, uh, obviously, you would have a dietitian on the program who would know a lot more about that than I would. But, I mean, basically, good, nutritious food is good for us. And I suppose um, <laughs> if, if we're living on burgers and chips, uh, we, 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 we wouldn't be in the good books with the dietitians, anyway. True. And then when it comes to, you know, being anxious and being over anxious, can we maybe overthink emotions sometimes that will make us feeling anxious? I mean, can we build up anxiety and bring it on ourselves? We can, of course, because, um, you know, uh, the uh, I, I talk about two things. One is I over E, that's intellect over emotion. And uh, that's that's a good way to kind of be, to be logical and to say, I'm okay. I, you know, I can manage from here until midnight without anything going dramatically wrong. Um, and the other one is E over I, which is emo- emotion over intellect. And when emotions are running the show, 
Well, then there isn't a lot of um, uh, logic um, attached to that. So that um, when we re- the first thing is to relax the body, to just get into the present moment. Mindfulness, in a very simple way, is being aware of what you're doing when you're doing it. That if you're boiling the kettle, that you're aware that you're pouring water into a cup, if you're making a cup of tea, um, rather than being 100 miles away and pouring the hot water on your hand. Um, Just being aware. Uh, You'd often hear about um, uh, living in the now. And uh, and we need to be doing that. You know, uh, like with the breathing, a, a person would need to be aware of, you know, I'm sitting down, I'm breathing in, I'm holding my breath, I'm breathing out. And that very thing focuses everything into the present moment and therefore um, the imaginings about what can go wrong and that might go wrong and what if that happened and what if that other thing didn't happen, you know. Yeah, the what ifs can destroy a person's life sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly. what you, you, you don't I mean, want. The, the fi- Sorry. That's what you don't want either, uh, is yeah. to be thinking too much about what could happen because you, you will, as we just mentioned, you'll end up making yourself anxious <laughs> and you'll be yes. going back to the to the method you, you spoke about there. Uh, it's a word we hear a lot of, Joe, recently and we, we can see why with everything going on in the world, why people will be anxious in their own situation or worried about something outside of their control and mindfulness as well uh, is something we're seeing a lot more of book-wise on our shelves. It's something I'm sure we, we'll discuss in the future, but interesting talk today on that and thanks for joining us, Joe. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. That is Joe Heffernan, a regular show counsellor. You can contact Joe on 086-8348-145 and Joe is based in Boherbui. Just a final few comments in on a number of issues we spoke about across the show. First of all, our last chat with Deputy Michael Collins on housing. Tom and Bantry says there are houses in Bantry idle for years and there should be a person in every town to report on empty buildings to get them back on the housing market and that could be said for a lot of towns in Cork, Tom. While John says that there is a bigger problem coming down the line, we have a lot of people on a fixed rate mortgage that will be running out in a few years. They will be then at the mercy of the banks and successive governments have not been interested in protecting their own people when it comes to the banks. Uh, some people asking about independent TDs, have they homes? Well, the ones that we spoke to, if they have, uh, they are voting in favour of the Sinn Féin motion. So uh, that kind of rules that out because they're going with the motion uh, that is down. And they're voting with Sinn Féin. And finally, Bridget uh, was on to us. She was in the city earlier this morning. She got on the number 207 bus outside the what was the Victoria Hotel on Patrick Street. And she found a purse. It was upstairs in the bus. She gave it to the driver. So whoever might have been on the number 207. And if you lost the purse and the 207 goes from Douglas, uh, the purse is now with Boss Aaron. I presume it's with Boss Aaron in Parnell Place. Uh, so if you did lose a, a purse on the 207, head along to Parnell Place. And enjoy the remainder of your Tuesday afternoon. Patricia Messenger will be back tomorrow morning from 10am with Wednesday's Cork Today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced I'm John. I'm Paul McNamara.